Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week uh, we're just kind of trying to get our bearings because, you know, we bore witness to an absolutely savage result at the top of the table in the Bundesliga, one that frankly has me in a bit of shock. Terry DeFellin, my co-podcaster this afternoon, are you reeling at all from Bayern's 5-1 assault in Leverkusen? Yeah, I'm positively dizzy. I'm so dizzy that I had to occupy my mind by putting away my scythe, packing up my combine harvester and all of the other farming equipment because, you know, Let's let's be honest, Matt. This is the farmers' league, as they say. <laughs> exactly. You got to be you got to be fully kitted out if you're preparing to follow this league. I mean, I've kind of gone a different direction. I don't have a scythe and a harvester. I've just got a tractor and uh, you know a rototiller kind of set up. But um, you know, it's important to uh, be prepared <laughs> when you're becoming a Bundesliga fan. <laughs> yeah. So this week, uh, more than more than you know, silly ramblings about farming in the Farmers League. We've also got uh, a closer look at that game between Leverkusen and Bayern and what made it such a uh, one-sided affair. We'll be looking at the team that, you know, if it hadn't been such a one-sided affair, it would have been an even affair. They might even have gone into the coming week as uh, table toppers. Things are looking up for a certain team in yellow and black, as well as uh, maybe some rumblings in Berlin. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day eight in the Bundesliga. Last week, we went with the uh, best storyline angle, as we often do, not always the best performance. We chronicled a gutsy away win for Eintracht Frankfurt in Munich, one fired by goalkeeping heroics and, you know, frankly, a bad day of finishing from Bayern. This week, we've got a completely different technique going on. It's a good storyline, but I think an even better performance. This was the biggest game of the weekend by far, the game we'd all been waiting for, the, the, the top of the table clash between second place Bayer Leverkusen and league leaders FC Bayern München. They were level on points going into this. And boy, did the visitors put on the most dominant performance I have seen in a football match in a very, very long time. Bayern, they scored their first goal just four minutes into this game, a really nice, slick back heel flick from from Robert Lewandowski, and they just overwhelmed Leverkusen. I mean, I feel like whatever figurative language I might want to use here, like swarm of locusts, pack of, of hunting dogs, you name it, I mean, might actually undersell how aggressive Bayern were in this game. It felt like they could just take the ball off of Leverkusen anytime they wanted, and they were so clinical going forward. It almost felt like... Five first half goals were a bit on the low side for, for the performance in that first half. I, you know, I'm dizzy. You said you were dizzy earlier, I think. I, I'm still a little bit dizzy from this game. How impressed were you? Yeah, I, it's so difficult to not be hugely impressed with the way that Bayern Munich play when they play well. And that is most of the time. And this game, they just had the perfect game. Well, actually, I think uh, in commentary during the, the match, uh, the pundit was saying that they probably had about nine or ten pretty decent 
chances in that first half. So in that respect, it probably wasn't quite perfect because they could have been running up a cricket score by half time. But it just doesn't work like that. I mean, Bayern were just so dominant in almost every area. And clearly, I think, desirous of some kind of response after the Eintracht result. Knowing, obviously, it's the big game against one of the big challenges for the title. And then just rising to the occasion, as they always tend to do in moments like this, or almost always tend to do. And I just thought it was really interesting because Robert Lewandowski said how unhappy he was that he had gone on this kind of losing streak and he was really this low scoring streak or the uh, two or three games without a goal. And he was absolutely razor sharp, as was Nagbury. And, and it, it just, it was, it just all completely clicked for Bayern Munich on, on this day and just showed just how much better they are than every other team in the Bundesliga this season and indeed past seasons, but specifically this season. Yeah, I mean, just sticking on this idea that Bayern are are not only a lot better than every other team in the Bundesliga, you know, they, they have their bad days occasionally, like everybody else, but uh, this was not one of them. Are we on the verge of something even better from Bayern? I mean, we, anybody who's been following this league has seen a lot of good Bayern over the last nine seasons of championship football and counting. I mean, we've seen the Pep era. We've seen some very good football under Hansi Flick. We're starting to see maybe even better football under Nagelsmann. I mean, I feel like if they can conjure up anything like that first half performance, and let's face it, Leverkusen were not exactly on their game. We'll get to that later. But if they can do that at all, for the remainder of this season in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League. I mean, they're just going to march to another treble. They certainly do look like the best team in Europe, don't they? And what they've done in, in recent seasons is that they've made a virtue of being able to hire the best and then get the best out of the best. And with the appointment of Julian Nagelsmann, I think that probably the only thing that was going against Nagelsmann as a coach was just a relative lack of experience as a coach. He's a, at a relatively tender age, although he has plenty of games under his belt at various levels. So even that's pretty tenuous as it goes. But he has demonstrated that he is one of the best coaches in German football, probably European football. And you can imagine that he would make a difference to almost any football club, aside from the you know massively politically entangled clubs that that are, that are very difficult to manage in general. And I'm thinking of clubs like you know, perhaps Barcelona and Manchester United, where you need to be more than just a coach. But he was made for Bayern for obvious reasons. I mean, he's a Bayern fan. He's a Bavarian. He has that that connection, that emotional connection with the club, and he has the belief of the owners uh, of the of the of the board, I should say of the chief executive and of the sporting director. So it's a, a harmonious relationship and he's getting the best out of those players, playing the best football and has, it would appear to be pretty much all of the answers. So I don't see any reason why we can't get the best out of them in, 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 in the Champions League as well. And I think it is worth saying, although this result does belie this somewhat but the Bundesliga is a tough league to win and it is a very very competitive highly professionalized league and winning winning games in it is difficult so it's ideal preparation for playing in the Champions League 
where it is, yeah, tough. I mean, Brian have a had. I think Bayern live rent free in a lot of clubs' heads now in the Bundesliga, and you don't get that in the Champions League. So I think psychologically, you know, they don't necessarily go into games with the advantage, but I don't think they need it at the moment. It's difficult to see past them. I don't know who is the, Chelsea. Perhaps the current European champions might be better than Bayern Munich. Um, we we'll have to see how City develop, but yeah, uh, why not? Why not? Yep, yep. I'm basically at the point that unless they get a very unfavorable draw at some stage in in the knockout stage, I mean, I can't imagine they won't get at least to the semifinal of this of this year's Champions League. It just seems out of the question. Hmm. I want to ask a couple of things about uh, Leverkusen because this, you know, I think with good reason, Leverkusen came into this game not only level on points with Bayern, but you know, they, they put together some very nice results. They had a very informed group of attacking players as well as what looked to be a, a very stable defense. I don't think that their game plan was necessarily totally unsound. I mean, it was stuff that they had been doing against a lot of other teams that had been working. They were playing out of the back. They were playing a lot of, of you know, very ambitious line-breaking passes on the deck. And, and some of them were even going through, but, you know, basic chances were being sort of scuppered by by loose touches. When that didn't work, they started trying to sort of go over Bayern, doing sort of, you know, knockdown, up, back, and through stuff with, with uh, Patrick Schick. And that looked like it might work for a little while, but, you know, once again, the sharpness just wasn't there. And, like, once the feeding frenzy, the I guess uh, the metaphor I forgot the, earlier was the piranhas, because the piranhas were definitely out. Once the piranhas started feeding in that, you know, 30th minute through about the 37th, 38th minute when Byron scored four out of their five goals in the first half. They just looked like they were not even there anymore. It was, it was a real humbling thing to watch from a team who had looked extremely confident going into this game. What's your feeling about where this leaves them moving forward? Well, I think that what's important for them to try and get their heads around with this result is that it was really about that seven minute burst of madness. Um, where Bayern were just amazing and Leverkusen then just kind of lost it as well. They made defensive errors. They just weren't sharp enough. You can argue that they won the first, they, well, they won the second half, but then I think you probably would be fair to say that Bayern had taken their foot off the gas and were thinking about the English week and less about, I think they were more concerned with just containing the, the resultant game management for the second half. But there was this, there was just this mad few minutes where it all clicked for Bayern and it all fell apart for Bayern Leverkusen. And I think that it's important to just just to establish that that's what it was. It was like seven minutes. Oh, I was, I was to about not- to say, you, you brought that feeding frenzy and when the heads went down and they sort of waved the white flag. I mean, Bayern thinking about that, uh, <laughs> the English week, huge signal that they were moving on was taking off Alfonso Davies in the 40th minute. Yeah. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't hurt. They just didn't yeah, need him anymore. They didn't, no, I mean, it's 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 massive shade uh, on, on, on your opponent, it's got to be said. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, it, let's not read too much into that. But Bayern, in general, the reason why Bayern win games is because they don't take the piss out of their opponents. Even if they repeatedly beat them, they always treat them with respect because... Because and that's how they win all the time. It's that kind of mentality that has got them to where they are. It's why they're a club to be admired. Um, but yeah, that was massive shade, wasn't it? I mean, I, 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 do, I mean, I think Gerardo Suoni has just got to 
tell his players to just like say, okay, this was a really, really bad day at the office. And then we've just got to sort of like, you know, pick ourselves up and have another go. They they themselves have got an English evoker to, to, to try and work through their issues. So it's a difficult result to contextualise because, of course, we're all aware of the, the criticism that the, the Bundesliga has because of the dominance of Bayern. And then a result like this comes along and you think, oh, my goodness, this kind of exemplifies it. But I think it is, you know, probably worth pointing out that, you know, Bayern are just on another level to almost everybody else right now. And they are a genuine super club. And, you know, there are other super clubs in European football who have the level of money and income that Bayern have, but very few of them just get all of their decisions right in the way that Bayern Munich do and have done for the last 10 years. And if there's any consolation, that isn't sustainable because, you know, there's still human beings at the heart of all of this and human beings make mistakes. And eventually (laughs) these guys will eventually start making mistakes. So I think it's important to establish that in context. And I think if I was a Leverkusen fan and as a broader, you know, cheerleader for the Bundesliga, I'd just say, look, it was just seven minutes of, 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 of perfect football. And at which point then, you know, their spirits were crushed. And they, they did well to get that goal back, I think. And Chicks are really, really having a good season. It was good to see him on the spread on, on the short. But I really hope that Bayer don't look at this as a kind of, oh God, we've done it again. You know, we get to the big games and we choke because... I mean, I don't, you don't have to see it like that if you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I kind of have gotten to the point of feeling that a Bundesliga side basically is going to have to play something close to a perfect game on their end, whether that it comes in the form of, you know, Kevin Trapp, whether that comes in the form of an extremely uh, organized defense that sort of keeps Bayern from getting as many chances. That doesn't happen a lot, but does sometimes. But you have to basically be at 100%, and Bayern have to also be off. So that didn't happen. That didn't come together for them today. And as you said, if they can move on, if they can just think, hey, you know, we're, we're about to go down to, uh, you know, Seville. We're going to play Betis. It's going to be a completely different game. The pressure is off a little bit. You know, the hype is not going to be um, there in the same way that it was. We're going to move on. We're going to get ready to uh, play our, you know, crosstown local type rivals, Cologne, next week. And that ought to be a winnable game. Yeah. Although obviously Cologne have got, got, got their own their own five goal trauma to have to deal with as well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Which sets that thing up for a very, very nice game. I mean, that that game, just sticking with Leverkusen for a moment, it's the perfect palate cleanser, actually, to be fair, because, I mean, Seville's a beautiful city and Betis are a good side. That's going to be a fun game of football to watch. And I think that that's, and I think it's good that they're going to get out of the country for a little while and, and just rinse themselves of this, of this deep unpleasantness. But they're not helping anybody by taking any additional meaning to that. They've lost, a, they've been heavily defeated, but it's just one game. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they'll rinse themselves as opposed to get rinsed again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, uh, Leverkusen are away to Betis on Thursday. Bayern are away to Benfica. They're going down to uh, Portugal on Wednesday. Okay. Let's move on from that game. Let's talk about about Dortmund and their 3-1 win over Mainz. You know, if things had ended another way, if this had been a level pegging game, a 1-1, 0-0, whatever draw between Bayern and uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Dortmund would have remained at the top of the table after match day eight. So I, I imagine that probably nobody was more disappointed to see Bayern run away with the game than, than were Dortmund. You know, 
there was a few nervy moments for Dortmund in the closing, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes of this game, uh, as, as Mites first was, you know, seeking and then got a lifeline of a goal to make it 2-1. But, uh, you know, ultimately the guy who scored the goal to shut the door on Mites was the same guy who had scored the second goal, who leads the league in scoring up there alongside Robert Lewandowski. Terry, how much does it mean for Bayfell Bay to have Erling Haaland back? Well, uh, you know, I mean, just look at his numbers and just look at the, the stats that he brings, but also the weight that he brings to the dressing room and to the, the to the way that they play. I mean, there's just so much energy and effervescence about the way that he plays Erling Haaland that any team would be diminished without him playing. Uh, I, I mean, I could go into some kind of uh, introspective sort of like, you know, navel-gazing about, or oh, you know, Dortmund should be able to play well and you know they shouldn't they, they don't they shouldn't have to rely on just one guy you know in order to get results and I think that's kind of pointless he brings so much to any team particularly Dortmund that it would be crazy to not enjoy it and to not and to not take advantage of it and at the moment despite having some injury issues he, he does seem to be able to recover from injuries really well and so you know he's an essential component that I think we can just enjoy and rely upon to an extent I say we I'm being biased but I'd also obviously like to pay homage to Jude Bellingham because obviously he's English, I'm English, he's a fantastic player and it just blows my mind how how this kid just keeps coming on. And, you know, the, the setup for that third goal just like exemplifies everything that's good about Jude Bellingham and why he's such a special player. I, I, I may have implied some criticism of him a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, talking about maybe some concerns that I had about tactical indiscipline, but I was simply using Jude Bellingham as an example, not necessarily saying that he is in any way, you know, tactically indisciplined, but, and in moments like that, you just think that he just gives so much and that it clearly isn't a one man team. But then when, you know, you've got Haaland who just can produce so many valuable metrics like assists and goals, then, you know, he's just, he stands alone really in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I even feel that the team, even when he's not necessarily directly involved in, in scoring plays or, or, or sort of good team moves, the team just loves having him around. They understand that, that the sort of fear that he strikes into opposition defenses as well as his own sort of boundless <laughs> optimism, aggression, you know, natural dominance. I mean, it's, it feels good to be taking the pitch with a player of that stature and quality. Yeah, because he always comes across like he's got your back. I mean, when he scored the third goal, the first thing he does, he turns around and he runs to Bellingham because he he understands what's happened here, that he's been the beneficiary of some you know incredibly good play. And this is what you always want to see from him. I mean, that's why it'll be heartbreaking when he inevitably leaves because unless Dortmund have got some hat, some plan to be able to keep him there for a duration of his career, you would think he would have to go at some point to somewhere else. And that will be, that'll, that'll be difficult, difficult to take. And it's one of the reasons why Bayern continue to prosper, of course, in the Bundesliga is that they don't have to sell their best players at the peak of their powers. Whereas most of the other clubs, if not all of them will have to do that. And, and that's a degree of sadness, but I think, the aggression and that directness that he has, and a lot of this probably is because of, of, of the way Dortmund play, but when he's coming at you as a defender 
full tilt, you must, it must be extremely disconcerting. Even the best, wiliest, most experienced defenders are going to be extremely disconcerted to see him there. He's such a, I mean, you make comparisons are made with Lewandowski, but he's such a different player to Lewandowski in that respect. He's got a different set of skill sets and his whole approach to scoring goals is different to Lewandowski. So that's why they complement each other beautifully. It'd be amazing to see them playing in the same team together and how they would link up together and, you know, would one diminish the other. But I don't think that any comparisons with, with, with Lewandowski are appropriate at this point, aside from just simply how many goals and assists that they get because they're, they're so different in character and, and approach. It's interesting that you bring up the uh, uh, the disconcerting image of uh, full tilt Erling Haaland bearing down on opposition defense because I thought there was an interesting quote that I read over the weekend from uh, the, the the coach of Ajax Eric Ten Hag saying that that he and his team were pleased that Erling Haaland will be back in action on Tuesday uh, for that game in Amsterdam they were saying you know good sentiment here. Look for they're looking forward to testing themselves against the very best, but that also seems like maybe maybe a little false puffery. I can't really imagine that a defender or a group of defenders really wants to play against <laughs> Erling Holland because you know before you, before you know it, he's going to be sitting down in his uh, lotus position, <laughs> you know, after bagging a hat trick against you, and it's just going to look ugly. Yeah, you're almost certainly going to be asked about Haaland and so therefore you've got to have a response and you obviously you're sending a message to your dressing room and you're telling your players, look, you have to relish these opportunities against the best, even though it could end badly. But we'll see, of course, if the game's yet to be played. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a quick turnaround. To tell the truth, you know, from you know Tuesday. Sunday Sunday afternoon to uh, Tuesday evening, you know, don't know exactly how that will play, and of course, it's a very short journey, which probably is a bit of a mitigating factor. I want to talk a little bit about mites before we leave this behind. They have played well most of this season. They, of course, were on an unholy tear at the end of last season. They were sort of the toast of the Bundesliga at that point, but they seem to have hit a bit of a wall when it comes to what they're capable of, let's just say. Their last three games against three good teams, Leverkusen, Union Berlin, and Borussia Dortmund, no point, no point, Terry. Um, mm. Is this basically just a signal that, um, you know, Mainz are a good but not great team, and, and we need to sort of check ourselves if we start thinking that they are all that? Yeah, it's possible they've got one of the better coaches in the Bundesliga, certainly given what, Bo Svensson did in the latter half of last season to get Mainz out of that trouble. We praised them in the past. Remember, we did a, we, we, we led, didn't we, with the um, Freiburg Mainz game because we, we identified them as being two of the most interesting teams of the Bundesliga at that time. And they continue to be interesting. But yeah, it, it's all about the tactical discipline at this point uh, with Mainz. They've got some improving to do. They need some better players. Um, in order to be to, to be one of the better teams, and and I, I guess that they they just tend to just get undone by either teams who have just got better players, or teams who perhaps are just a little bit more together, or probably in Union's case, but a little bit of both, because that uh, we, we will talk about Union shortly, I think. But I mean, they're they're comfortably one of the one of the best teams in the Bundesliga right now. 
And I don't think Mainz should feel bad about, or Mainz fans should feel bad about what's happening here. I think this is probably pretty normal. I mean, you know, I still reckon they will finish in the top half of the table, put it that way. Yep, I agree. I agree. I just think um, top half is probably probably where they're at rather than in a legitimate battle for Europe. Okay, let's talk about another team who may have have sort of decided to scale back their expectations. Although, you know, getting Cologne fans to scale back uh, expectations is something that the world has been waiting to happen uh, and and hasn't happened uh, in in my living memory. Hoffenheim gave them an absolute 5-0 pummeling on Friday night. I mean, this this really felt like a Hoffenheim Cologne match from, you know, three or four years ago when, when, you know, Julian Nagelsmann uh, was there and Cologne was sort of a semi relegation candidate rather than, than kind of the opposite scenario where Cologne came into this match on a European place. Hoffenheim had been all ups and downs thus far this season. This, this was a very, very big up. How did you read this game, Terry? Yeah, I was really surprised by just the low intensity of Cologne. And I mean, they are a high intensity, high press side, one of the highest pressing sides in the in the Bundesliga. So you expect that. I don't know whether or not the international break had upset their rhythm. They were missing Shakiri and they were missing Hector as well. And with a squad, I think as thin as Cologne's, that's uh, you know you're going to miss those. Are, those are big players to miss. But in general, what you've what we've come to expect from Cologne is a level of, of of teamwork and intensity that overcomes any deficiencies that they might have. So while it might not have been a huge shock to have put in a poor performance and maybe lost a game, to lose it five nil was pretty disappointing. On the other side, Lacoyne, however, Hoffenheim just really clicked in this match. Um, some fantastic performances and some clinical finishing. And it just seemed to to work really, really well for them. And that's been, I mean, I previewed this game for a, for a, one of a, another podcast that I do. And what, I, what I've seen from Hoffenheim is that they've been pretty pedestrian in their approach. Uh, and you're still wondering what it is that, that Sebastian Hernes is, is, is trying to do and trying to achieve there. He hasn't got a tremendous amount to work with, but there are some very talented players that he can get going. And he, he was able to do that on this occasion. And it worked, you know, pretty flawlessly. You know, again, I mean, the, the two finishes, particularly from Bebu, were timely and fitting reward. Uh, and Geiger's goal, again, you know, fitting reward for a guy who's had a difficult career so far and worked really, really hard. And so, I mean, a very pleasing result. I'm not quite sure what it tells us about both teams. I suspect I suspect that Stefan Baumgart will expect and get a reaction from his Cologne players for the particularly for the big derby against Leverkusen. But yeah, Sebastian Hernes has to use this as some kind of platform to have some kind of meaningful season ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll be very interested to see where Hoffenheim go from here because, you know, as I said, they have not been able to sort of maintain any level of consistency. Although we have in recent weeks been starting to see, you know, somewhat more positive results. I mean, they keep coming off of a, of a draw and a win coming into this. Although, yeah, dropped, dropped the game against Stuttgart as well. Um, but Ilhas Bebu, this is about the best as I had ever seen him. Andre Kramarich not scoring, but is, uh, is playing for the team, is getting assists. They have a kind of tough run ahead. Of course, they have Bayern next week. But after that, things get a little easier. You know, Hertha, Bochum, 
that's those those are games which um, I think might be uh, more to their liking. Cologne, though, their future is a little worrying in, in my mind. They have that sort of semi-derby. I mean, obviously, the, the one that they consider their biggest derby is the one against Gladbach, but Leverkusen certainly think that their biggest derby is the one against Cologne and are, are generally well up for it. But following that game against Leverkusen, I think Cologne are kind of kind of hitting a buzzsaw. They face Dortmund, Union, Mainz, and Gladbach. You know, obviously, that Gladbach one at the end there had, takes on its sort of, you know, life of its own as a derby, but... I would not be shocked to see Cologne come out of that run of five games with, I don't know, maybe maybe two points at best. Yeah, I, I certainly think that Mainz is going to be a winnable game. But then, I mean, every everybody will say that about Mainz, and as we said, Mainz are a lot a lot trickier than that. You're right about the Gladbach game. Who knows what's going to happen in that derby? And. This is very much dependent on how Dortmund approach this, but we know that Dortmund can have Wiggins from time to time and can ship goals. So, oh yeah, against Cologne so, as well, you know, for sure. and against Cologne, yeah, exactly. These are definitely difficult, <laughs> challenging fixtures ahead for them, and this is not an ideal result when you consider all of that, that that's to come. But I mean, I think that if they can get out of the starting blocks and really put the willies up Leverkusen, then they, they could turn that around and then go into those games with a lot more focus, I think. But hey, you know, they're not massively different to the team that they were last season. It's just, I mean, Modest, I think, is probably a big key there. But, you know, if they've got their full fitness back, then then they will always be quite strong. But it's possible we may have got a bit carried away about how good they were earlier in the season. Uh, and that maybe we should probably just be a little bit, you know, a little bit more Fonz-like when it comes to assessing FC Köln because, you know, they're, they're, they're not that much better. It's just that their coach has just instilled so much life and passion into them. And organisation, you know, I mean, they work well. They're amongst the highest presses of the of, of the league. They, are, they, they have got a good thing there. They've got the right coach in there. And I guess maybe we get a bit carried away. I think it's okay. I mean, it used to be that Cologne were mostly bad and boring, and the only thing they had going for them was their great fan culture. Mm. And now they're 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 pretty good and exciting, and still have a great fan culture. So they're just, they're just a lot easier team to digest. They they go down easier. And with that, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to head toward Berlin. Berlin. Wir fahren nach Berlin. Berlin. Wir fahren nach Berlin. Yeah, I, we're, we're maybe jumping the gun on our uh, Fahren nach Berlin uh, chant. The day of Papal Kyle will not be uh, back until midweek next week. But uh, just for the purposes of our podcast, part two will be starting in Berlin. First off with the better of the two Berlin sides at the moment which is FC Union Berlin. They got a 2-0 win over Wolfsburg on match day eight. They didn't really dominate this game. I think Wolfsburg will probably be, be left ruining some missed chances, but they did take all three points on the day in a very important matchup for them, I think. I mean, Wolfsburg is another team who had gotten off to a pretty hot start in this season, and Union 
were the team that got it done. Taiwo Awani, who has really done the business for them uh, a number of times already this season, got on the score sheet first. And uh, Geraldo Becker, who had not been a big factor, much to his own consternation heading into this game, was a second-half substitute, got the 2-0 goal, and uh, the Irons were left standing looking pretty tall at the end of this one. I mean, they have been hanging around the upper reaches of the table for for much of this season, but now they are up in fifth. They have even a couple of points difference over Wolfsburg, who they leapfrogged through this result. You sort of tipped your hand earlier in the podcast about um, how much you feel is going right for this team. Any Anything more to add about their sort of solidity, their organization, their effort. I mean, they're not a finesse team, let's just say. No, I'd say that they were probably quite utilitarian in their approach, but they do have um, a particularly an irony, a clinical finisher who can finish off their moves. I was talking about Cologne's pressing game uh, just now in the first part, Union probably even more so than, than Cologne. You know, they're very, very intense. They're very well organized again, and they have the quality to finish off their chances and, and win games. And that's proven to be the difference maker for them this season so far. They don't look like a team that's likely to get tired. I think that this is a team that is, I don't know whether or not they'll be fifth at the end of the season, but we can certainly dispel any thoughts that Union Berlin are anything other than a, an established Bundesliga side now, uh, which is you know remarkable when you consider that it's only, you know, but their second season, third season in the top flight. Yeah, seasons get a little hazy now. We had that. Yeah, apologies. Everything, go, everything going um, wild from from COVID. It's every year. Time's been a bit weird the last few years, as we all know. There is an assurance about their play that they play play like a, they just play like an established first division team. And I mean, I I think and I trust that they're smart enough to be able to make the right choices, and certainly in terms of recruitment to keep that. Treadmiller talent coming through. They seem to be getting it all right for the for the time being. And that's very pleasing. And it's refreshing as well because, yeah, again, when we've, we're angsting about the dominance of Bayern Munich, you know, we, we, we look further down the league for, for other stories and other narratives. And we don't have to look very far in uh, Union Berlin. Yeah, anything to the narrative that uh, Wolfsburg are also on a bit of a slide? I mean, they... I think they are winless in the last four league games. I mean, obviously, I think we probably already remarked on the on the soft schedule that they had to come out of the gate with, but it's definitely starting to look like a trend over from here. Uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit too early, but I mean, if you wanted some, you wanted a hot take, then you could probably look to the coach Mark van Bommel, as you say, a relatively smoothish sort of like start to the season and reflecting the talent that's in that squad. Um, and then as soon as they start to hit some bumps, it, it, you know, maybe the coach is not up to it, but these kind of takes require analysis in order to back them up and time uh, and probably a bit more hindsight. But I certainly think that you could be looking at those kind of areas and thinking, well, is this, you know, where are we, where are we going with Wolfsburg and, and where are they going? Cause I don't know how much of Wolfsburg's performances have been because they've been kind of punching above their weight. They've been coached really well by their predecessor, Oliver Glasner. Uh, and now they've got a different approach and it's not, you know, it's just not working out for them. Or is it just a bunch of stuff that's happened in the last few weeks? 
and you know over the longer term they'll be fine yeah yeah well in the short term they are uh, headed to Salzburg to play the actual Red Bull team, the team that acknowledges uh, the, the name Red Bull and their name. Uh, on Wednesday, Wolfsburg will be in action in the Champions League. On Thursday, Union are going to Rotterdam to take on Feyenoord. That's, that's probably a pretty tasty fixture. But first, before we sort of get completely lost in uh, European travels, let's talk about the other half of Berlin here, right here in the Bundesliga. Yeah, the, the, the blue portion of Berlin got to celebrate again for a change as well. Hertha, they went to Frankfurt and against all odds and let's be frank, probably expectations. They not only beat Eintracht, but they actually outplayed them as well. It was as, as much as I felt dizzy and, and jarred by uh, Bayern's blistering 5-0 first-half performance in Leverkusen, I was nearly as shocked to wake up on Saturday morning, watch Hertha, as I, as I do each weekend, and see them play well and actually win. I don't know what to make of it. As you say, it might just be stuff happening. <laughs> but um, the stuff that happened was really good. I particularly was excited to see, you know, Christoph Piontek did not get a goal in the game, but looked dangerous in quite a number of instances. Uh, Jürgen Eckenlandkamp was excellent again in a substitute appearance. It looks like at the moment that's a much more effective place for him to be. And basically the only goal they gave up was on a, a pretty stupid penalty. That was the stupid penalty was more like the, the hair tie I've become accustomed to over the last uh, couple of seasons. But I'm feeling okay, which is a new place to be. Yeah, and I'm genuinely happy for you. I, I only caught the snippets of this game, and so don't have a, a full analysis to share beyond. Uh, in, and and I'm, I'm low to say it's a bunch of stuff that happens because we can't just keep saying that. Although there is an inherent truth to football that it is a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah, it's it's one of those <laughs> things about football. If, if you keep saying the truth, people start to get angry with you. Yes. Like, no, <laughs> I want the takes to be hotter. No, we need we need we need top takes and we need narratives. What we want from this, of course, and I say we, and of course I mean you, um, is and all here to fans is for this to mean something, mean something more, and for us to look back on this result and say this is the moment that it turned around. But Matt, I think they've shown to themselves and to their coach what's possible now. So the, the next the next step is to do it again. And at the very least, even if they don't get the results, then at least turn in the performances because then the points will eventually flow and all will be well. Yep, yep. Let's see if the points will flow over the next few games. They've got uh, their home to Gladbach. They have a, a DFB Pokal game in Münster against Preußen and then uh, away to Hoffenheim. You know, a guy can dream. A guy can dream that they'll take uh, quite a number of points out of that. But, you know. And if they get through to the next round of the DFB Pokal, which you would like to think that they could get a result against Münster, but <laughs> it's Hertha. Yep. But if they get through that, then suddenly, you know, your season's, the season is still alive in a very meaningful way. I think Hertha might just have to vibe their way through this season. <laughs> just hope for the best. Well, I th I, I'm afraid I think you're right. I mean, I think I said on the last episode of this podcast that I was checking out on Paldardi, and I don't think that I've, I've changed my mind on that. But 
he's proved in the past that he knows how to vibe a team <laughs> to at least a certain level. So maybe he can vibe them to mid-table, which is all I'm asking for. Okay, let's move on and talk about a couple of draws in the Bundesliga. I guess we had we had three one-one draws on the weekend here, and we can probably treat them pretty quickly, uh, one after the other. This Sunday, we had uh, Augsburg and Bielefeld. That was a 1-1 draw. I must admit, I saw nothing of that game as I was sort of preparing for the podcast and cooking lunch for myself and my partner. I don't even know what happened in the game other than what I see on kicker in front of me that, it, you know, Reese Oxford scored in the first half and then in the second half, Armenia Bielefeld struck back Jakob Larsen and uh, fill in the blanks or, or not, Terry. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I didn't see much more than you did, but Jakob Larsen's goal was an absolute stonker, absolute stonker on the volley from outside the area. So do avail yourself of that goal. Oh, I'm excited. I'm um, excited to yeah, see when it. When you get the chance. It was one of the goals of the, of the weekend. And and Augsburg had a couple of goals disallowed late doors, one of which I think by VAR. So I think Augsburg can consider themselves to be a little bit unlucky. That was really a game that Augsburg have to think, this has got to be a three-point win. We've got to take this one if we're going to keep our heads above water. So there'll be bitterly disappointed with the outcome of that result, I think. Yeah, I, it's my understanding. And once again, these were these were games that for the most part, I have watched only highlights of. But um, in all of these 1-1 draws, there are teams who probably feel like they either deserved a little more or, or at least really, really wanted a little bit more. I mean, certainly Borussia Mönchengladbach and uh, Stuttgart in the, in the top spiel. Gladbach put up a much, much bigger XG number and had a lot more and, and better chances than their opponents. And uh, Freiburg opening their new stadium against Leipzig didn't exactly run away with proceedings, but at least played at pretty level pegging against a team whose budget is <laughs> orders of magnitude larger than theirs, which I think at least is a moral victory. Anything to take away from either of those two games? Not much than we already, what we already know about Mönchengladbach and Stuttgart is, is that they've got something about them, but we need to see a lot more, particularly, I think, from, well, actually from both of them, in fairness, we're, they're both are kind of flattering to deceive. That Freiburg result, without looking at the match, is a tremendous result. I think that's a great result to get a point about Leipzig. I know there's a degree of anxiety about Jesse Marsh and, and Leipzig and all of that, but player for player, you've got to be pleased with the result there. And it's nice narratively. It's their uh, opening fixture in their new stadium. They didn't lose. They play one of the top teams. They came away with a good result. So nice start to Freiburg's uh, latest chapter in their story. Indeed, indeed. If you want to hear a little bit more about Freiburg in a more of a sort of global and uh, less specific to right now sense, you can always check out our last episode of Talking Football Extra, in which I uh, talked all things Freiburg with uh, John McKenzie. Check that one out. And uh, Leipzig, it'll be interesting to see where Leipzig head this week in terms of where their heads will be at, I guess. They are headed to Paris to take on Paris Saint-Germain, which... Um, Gulp. Yes, but I mean, I haven't watched PSG this weekend. I watched them earlier. Uh, oh, no, no, sorry. I watched the Friday game and they very, very, very nearly lost to Angers. And they were missing Neymar and Messi, to be fair. But it is not all going according to plan at PSG. 
PSG is an excellent example about when you're talking about criticisms of Farmers League because you know look at PSG and look at Bayern. Both of them are both of them have got like they're super clubs. They've got all the money, but one of them will trip up, falter, lose titles to Lille. You know, get knocked out of the Champions League early, and the other just like trammels their way through everything because Bayern do it right and PSG don't quite get it right and 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 this is the this is the difference here this is the this is why it's a little bit unfair to call the Bundesliga a farmers league yeah but to return to your initial point apologies Matt I straight off the path there but to return to your initial point there is definitely something there for, for Leipzig to get stuck into they definitely have the players to do something in Paris no question all right all right one to watch uh, okay, finally, there was one more result from the weekend, which I think we can probably describe as, um, you know, the the battle to not be in at the head of the line to go down to the Zweite Bundesliga. Bochum. Bochum went to Fürth and got a 1-0 win, which I think uh, for them is going to be probably a, a really crucial result moving forward. I mean, Bochum... For all the expectations and, and the sort of naysayer punditry that, that welcomed their entry into the Bundesliga, they are playing a pretty respectable role. They are, in fact, they have their heads above water. They're in 15th place at the moment, ahead of Augsburg and Bielefeld. Of course, two other teams who are hotly tipped relegation candidates, but they are six points clear of Fürth now. Fürth on a single point. They're on their bottom dollar down there in the gutter yeah i mean you could i need to start already need to start thinking about what the season in the fighter bundesliga is going to look like next season i mean it's quite difficult to see them down there because i mean i don't think it's the case that they went up by accident but goodness me you know they've they've, they've not been able and this is the, the difficulty of not having the resources to be able to improve your squad to the point where you can do anything uh, of note uh, there's time and there's a January transfer window to come, but you know my understanding is is that you know, this is not a club that that is in a position to compete at this level, and it's showing. And I just at the moment I'm just hoping it's not too traumatic. This would have been a difficult result to swallow because obviously you look at Bochum. It, this was a second division game last season. It's a game you're going to think you're going to probably going to we should you should try and win, uh, and and be expecting a, a win and then to just to to lose it in such a way, um, relatively late doors is going to be a, a, a kick in the ghoulies. Uh, on, on, on Bochum's side, yeah, I mean, they just, I think we tipped them to stay up at the beginning of the season, um, but albeit like above their heads. I mean, my feeling is, is that the bottom three would still be, say, Bochum, Bielefeld and Furt, because I think Augsburg have got enough to steer clear. But I'd fancy Bochum in any relegation playoff. Some of those clubs down in there in the second division are bonkers and you just, you just don't know. I think, uh, I think that the current placement, which is Bochum 15, Augsburg 16, Bielefeld 17, Fürth 18. I think that's how I might've tipped it ahead of the season. So if they would just want to keep it that way, if they just want to do this, I'm all for it. You better stick some money on it then, (laughs) but not too much. That's right. Well, you know, I've, I've got to got to check the local regulations here. You know, the, the legal gambling is sweeping its way across the United States, but it hasn't it hasn't quite made it to the grounds here. 
Well, I'll, I'll put a couple of I'll put a couple <laughs> of shillings on it uh, over here uh, on your behalf, Matt, and split the winnings. The next nice. Time will, will it be the uh, the the betting shop just uh, down the road from Zeitgeist in London, where we used to go catch games together? Uh, Zeitgeist has been changed. I mean, that, oh no! No, Zeitgeist. What I mean, it's like the, the pub still exists, but it's been taken over, and they don't. It's no longer a German pub. It's a, it's a, it's a, just a pub, and they don't do the games anymore. So I don't I don't go. Oh my god, so, that's horrible news. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so I'll take it along to the Labricks in, uh, in, in, in the Shoreham High Street, around the corner from where I live. And of course, other bookmakers are available. <laughs> Come at us, Ladbrokes. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Really great to have you back on, Terry. Super duper to be Bay back on, Matt, and looking forward to doing it all again some of the time soon. Bippity boppity boo. You can follow Terry on Twitter, of course, at Terry DeFellon. If you want to contact me, I am at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please download us regularly wherever you get your pods. Leave us a rating or, you know, just some stars. It's a big help. A new edition of Talking Foosball Extra. The Aufstieg edition will be coming your way in a couple of days to keep you abreast of all the big stories coming out of the Zweite Bundesliga. And, of course, Talking Foosball Fantasy with JT and Flo. They'll be closing out the week. They'll get you ready for match day nine. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. <laughs>